This is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon and welcome to the show on this wonderful holiday weekend. You know, I'm pretty sure most of you are out enjoying this lovely weather. You know, I would imagine most people should be. You know, when we get weekends like this, especially in May, we've got to focus on, you know, the outdoor life, the aspect of things. Um, It's kind of funny. A lot of people like to go to open houses on long weekends. I know if you're not up at the cottage or you're not out by, you know, Lake Ontario or doing something exciting like that, a lot of people go open house shopping on days like today. And they are normally the serious ones. So welcome to the show. We've got lots planned for you today, of course, as we always do. Uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit about a flipping tax that is going to be brought into potentially into BC. Could we see it here in Toronto? A little bit later on the hour, I'm going to have uh, Romana King. She is the senior editor of Money Sense magazine. Always love having her as a guest because we talk, uh, you know, some in-depth situations and we are going to be talking about condominiums and how to protect yourself from situations like Urban Corp has created for a lot of buyers out there right now that people are dealing with. And a little uh, little later on in the hour as well, I'm going to have Greg Bonnell. He's a uh, BNN anchor, um, you know, focuses on real estate. We're going to be talking about the marketplace from a different perspective. Is the market starting to stabilize and flatten in the major markets, being Toronto and Vancouver? These are all really important topics, folks. Um, you know what? We've been on quite a rise for a long time. We know Canada is doing well. But what markets are finally going to stabilize? Also, a couple other comments out there right now and a few things that I have noticed is that we're actually looking at a few situations with the builders where they're saying that we're going to start uh, seeing a bit of a slowdown in brand new construction. A lot to do with things such as Alberta struggling, uh, you know, Manitoba. And how about some of the latest news that's going on with insurance and what insurance companies are looking at as risk areas. So, why don't I get started on a couple of key points? First and foremost, in the in the news, and you know, I got to tell you, there's been, it's funny, sitting here in front of this microphone talking about real estate every week, you know, I don't want to bore anybody, but there are some interesting things that happen and not everybody perceives it the same way. You know, sometimes it's, you know, I, I don't know if anybody remembers the Charlie Brown you know, uh, comics, and you always hear the teacher going, wah, 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 wah. I hope that we have more information going out to you than listening to that teacher. And when I look at this stuff, you know, some of this stuff will have a huge impact in the real estate market. And some stuff, not so much. I just think it's the point of selling newspapers or a little bit of headlines, get everybody a little bit worked up, jacked up about a few things. And I've been finding over the last few years that this is what the media has been doing. So when we jump on my first topic today, talking about a flipping tax, and we're talking about more or less throwing it at um, people that are foreign investors. It was interesting because a gentleman who is very knowledgeable in the world markets is Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC World Markets. And he made a comment um, in in an article regarding uh, flipping tax and putting it on to foreign investors. And the truth is, is that, you know, most people are saying, hey, that wouldn't be a bad idea. And I would have to concur. I would say that if they hold it for a period of time, that perhaps if it's short, they should pay your standard taxes, maybe an increased tax, capital gains, things like that. But 
you know, a lot of times when people take a property, and just for clarity, when you buy a property as a principal residence, could be a family member or whomever is the one occupying it, if they are on title, then what you're doing is you're skirting the issue of capital gains if you've been in the property more than a year. So would it not make sense for people right now in the Vancouver market to be turning around Moving into a property for one year, turn around, get a huge, huge payday down the road, meaning, you know, let's say a property goes up by a half a million dollars. Well, half a million dollars tax-free in a year is a pretty nice number to look at. But, you know, we've got to look at it and say, okay, are there that many people actually doing this that are foreign investors? And the number is actually not very big. We don't see foreign investors actually flipping. And this is the thing that, again, looking at the media, what they throw out as the main titles out there, we're seeing, you know, this this is what I, I wish people, it's almost like fear-mongering. In other words, Canada is going to become China because there's so many foreign investors. And I disagree. The number's not as high as what people are perceiving. And so when we look at the actual numbers of people flipping, They're not. In fact, the only time that flipping is happening, and it's not just foreign investors, it's everyone. Canadians are getting involved. They turn around and they're flipping it, meaning they buy it before closing. They then turn around to sign it, flip it again, flip it again, flip it again, and people can make some money. So again, throwing in some taxes on that, I think will definitely soften the market a little. It's not a bad idea. I don't think we have to sit there and worry about the sky falling or the fact that, you know, Um, Chinese people are going to buy up all of Vancouver. I think that we have a good foreign investment policy, but at the same time, I think it can get better and I think it will. And again, experts like Mr. Tall, you know, are saying, listen, it's not a bad idea. And I would, I would agree with him on this. So again, don't get too concerned. By the way, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Simply Real Estate. I am your host, Todd C. Slater, and it is a lovely long weekend, of course, Victoria Day Monday coming up, and everybody should be able to enjoy it. Hey, speaking of coming up, not just the holiday on Monday, but we have our last simple seminar for the summer coming up on May the 26th at 7 p.m. You can go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register today. Folks, you really want to show up. Uh, we've got a new release. It's very exciting. Um, new investment properties coming up. And, of course, a new solution for people's RRSPs. We found it. We figured it out. And people now can turn around and get some really solid investment advice here with your RSP turning it into a mortgage product. Very, very exciting stuff. So a couple of other things I want to talk about is the fact that we're looking at, you know, a major, major situation for insurance companies out in Fort McMurray. And when um, builders are now building, the insurance uh, Council of Canada is actually looking at it saying that maybe the municipalities need to step in and make sure that builders are not building in areas that are either floodplains or areas that could create uh, damage from things such as forest fires. Now, so what we're going to do is we're going to have the people that make all the money turn around, dictate, and tell us where to live and tell us what we can actually build probably, put all the safety measures so that they don't have to pay out on the insurance that you pay every single year. Hmm. I don't know. I don't like that. You know, I get it that maybe we shouldn't be building in floodplains. Now, most most municipalities don't allow it, but there are some areas that even if they're not a floodplain, they are, it is conducive to have floods. So I get it. So maybe as an insurer, you should not insure them or charge an extra premium for that, which some of them do already. So how about say, look it, we won't give you insurance. 
again, there'll be somebody that will come along and you have to pay enough money that you will get insurance. So I think people are already paying for it. So now they want to sit there and say, ah, but what are the chances are? So let's go back to Fort McMurray there. Major, major fires. Obviously, you know, almost, you know, absolutely destroy a town. Fortunately, only there was a certain percentage of homes that got lost. I think the number was coming in somewhere in a couple of thousand, which is still monumental. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge, huge number. Obviously, all the families that were displaced. But what are you going to do now? Sit there and say those towns are not allowed to ever be built because of the potential of a forest fire? So it, does this mean that pretty much all of BC, a lot of Alberta are not allowed to develop because, hey, they've got trees in the in the area, so we can't develop in the area? That doesn't make any sense. And I think they're overstepping their bound. I think it's a knee-jerk reaction saying, hey, wait a minute, we did not anticipate this loss. And house insurance is all based on things such as claims, of course, and this is where the insurance companies have had free reign for years and making a ton of money. And ultimately, in the end, when we look at it, it's like, well, wait a minute, we're the consumer, we're paying your rates, and now you're going to try to dictate to municipalities of where we can build. Don't agree with it. Not a fan of it. We'll wait and see what happens. Again, unfortunately, you know, as I told you last week, our thoughts and prayers go out to the people in Fort McMurray. Um, hopefully, everybody does get resettled. Everything gets taken care of, and life begins to uh, to move on for these people. You know, it's been a very, very tough time for a lot of people. You know, one of the things also that obviously came up on the on the radar is now we're looking at Alberta real estate. Is it going to be affected? And how about Fort McMurray? Are people going to be able to rebuild and bring back value? Well, yes, they're going to have a lot of brand new homes. A lot of them will be repaired. There'll be renovations done. So does this mean the value will continue to go up? Can it rebound? Ultimately, in the end, people will have to decide, are they going to continue to live there? Can the actual area recover financially? Will people want to live there? You know, are there too many bad memories of what happened? So this is only going to take time to figure this out. This could be a five or 10 year, you know, event that will determine, can it rebound financially? And this does happen to areas. When an area has a catastrophic thing happen to it, can real estate rebound? You know, when we talk about location, 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 it's so very important that people understand some of the things that can happen in a location and what the negativity can adversely affect in your values. And this is, unfortunately, for all of those people, and again, like I said, our prayers and hopes go out to them that they regain their lives and hopefully uh, things do work out in the end. Now, as I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, I've got a couple of great guests that are going to be joining us throughout the hour. That article about Urban Corp, you know, they're they're struggling, they're doing uh, some bankruptcy proceedings on it, and they're trying to figure out, you know, how can they protect everybody and do everything. But in the meantime, there's a lot of people flapping in the, in the wind, and I'm pretty sure that um, we need to know how we can protect ourselves against situations like that. That's why I'm going to be having Romana King join me uh, shortly as well. Greg Bennell, we're going to be talking about the... Uh, have sales topped out in the major markets? Are we going to see things flatten out? So, hey, listen, lots to go. Beautiful day. Stay with me. When I come back, I'm going to be joined by my guest, Romana King, and you are listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. So as I mentioned earlier, um, 
you know, I've had uh, I've had my next guest on uh, before. She is definitely a real estate expert, and she actually wrote an article that I think that every one of our listeners should understand, read, and you know, go in depth on because dealing with condominiums are going to get a little bit more difficult in your future. So I want to introduce my uh, my guest today, Romana King. She is Senior Editor at Money Sense Magazine. And Romana, uh, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Awesome to have you back. Um, you know, you wrote a great article that was published in Money Sense. You know, I, I always love reading your your, your articles because you know I think you're you're spot on. But this one this one's really come to light over the last few months because of a situation with. Urban Corp, a developer here in Toronto, and that people really need to learn about buying things such from builders, you know, especially condominiums, but builders in general. And maybe you can take us through a couple of the steps um, and and what really, you know, what drove you to write this article? Sure. So I'll start with what drove me. There was a lot of press and excellent reporting done by the Toronto Star, Global Mail, and various other news outlets um, about the collapse, essentially the virtual collapse of Urban Corp. They were a very fast-growing developer in the greater Toronto area. They had uh, developments as far as, you know, Markham and even north of that um, in Port Hope area. And then they moved into the Toronto downtown core and started building uh, a different type of multifamily. They used to do townhomes and single-family, and then they moved into uh, condos. At some point, something happened within the company, and they found themselves stretched the limit. Cash flow was, uh, was terrible. They started trying to raise funds to meet those obligations and then just couldn't do it. And so they filed for bankruptcy at the end of April. Now, the reason why that's a problem is we estimate there's about 900 units, so possibly 900 or more people who have invested in the in these condos, townhomes, single-family detached homes that are either in the process of being built, not yet built, or built but not registered. And they're now up in the air as to whether or not they're going to even have an investment. They're going to, if they're going to have a home to move into, if they're going to be able to sell a home that they don't technically legally own right now. And so it's left, obviously, people very scared about the new build or pre-construction market in Canada. That's a fabulous point. And if if I'm not uh, if I'm not mistaken, last year, uh, Urban Corp ran into the same issue where they actually cancelled a condominium development and turned it into um, uh, just basically a rental apartment. Is that correct? This company's actually run into difficulties for a number of years. You can go back, I think, as far as 2007, and there were liens against this company. And, and, and a lien is someone saying, listen, you owe me money. I'm going to the courts to make sure that I register the fact that you owe them some money. So I actually now can take a portion of the asset that you own and keep it for myself in order to meet that obligation, in order to, to pay off that debt. So they've had liens as far back as 2007. So this company has been in difficulty for a long time. Again, from a, from a builder's standpoint, this isn't the only company that we've seen uh, you know, get in and fall into tough times. But at the same time, it's it's quite a large number. And last year, if I if I remember correctly, there was about 180 uh, purchasers that had bought, I think, about four years in advance of the property being finished. And they were all told, "Sorry, we're giving you back your deposit." I think the interest that they got over a four year period was about a thousand dollars. Originally, when they bought it, they were buying something in around three hundred fifty four hundred dollars a square foot. Coming into last year's market, now they had to go try to find a replacement at six hundred dollars a square oh. foot. And so, you know, the, these people, their expectations were set absolutely, you know, uh, destroyed with the fact that no, they are no longer going through with this development. And of course, then all these people are left hanging because 
they really had anticipated being able to buy and buy something affordable. One of the things, Romana, I think that you know when you write your articles, you really explain it well to both your readers. You know, our, our listeners really appreciate this kind of information. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that I'd like to go through with you. So, sure. most important when buying a, um, a a you know a pre-construction property, you know, we talk about representation, and most agents, you know, they want to jump on the bandwagon, and I will dis agents a little for the fact that, you know. It, what happens is builders turn around and offer them a commission saying, hey, bring your buyer and we'll pay you 5% commission. I still get those emails from every builder in Toronto saying, hey, Todd, bring your, bring your, bring your uh, buyers and we'll give you 5% commission. All you have to do is sign them up. And that means I'm not representing the client. What can people do? Because that, that, to me, that's a real struggle. That is a real struggle. I mean, the fact is realtors make money off the commission when they sell. So the key is, and not all realtors will actually just sort of sign people up. Some realtors really want to make their business on repeat business referrals. I think those ones are the ones that are in it for the long term. They want to build a business. They want to have a quality uh, reputation. And those are the realtors that are, yes, they're going to sell pre-built or pre-construction condos, but they're not going to solely direct you to this particular condo development or this one. What they're going to do is they're going to talk about the risks and the rewards of, of doing pre-construction or opting for something that's already pre-built. And, and so you, what you really want is a, is a realtor that will explain to you the risks and the rewards and whether or not you are, are, are going to be better off buying pre-construction or not. And these are also the realtors that know their market. So if you're going to be buying in, say, downtown Toronto, you want a realtor that understands all the developers that are in the downtown market and what those developers have done in the past and what they're currently doing. Because these are the realtors that are going to say, listen, you want to avoid this building over here because, you know, three years ago they, this developer built and it was terrible and we're still hearing problems and the resale value is terrible you know, despite the fact that it's a downtown core. So these are the realtors that know their business, that understand the pros and the cons of, of doing pre-construction and are willing to provide that information to you rather than just sell, 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 listen, get in now, or you're going to miss this opportunity. Because, I mean, what you just said is true. Timing is everything. If you bought four years ago and then realize you can't get what you bought and now have to get back in the market, well, it certainly has changed a lot in four years. And it can be quite costly. And one, one of the things that I've, I've recognized over the years is that, you know, with with some new releases, when they prompt them, they'll tell people, you know, you've got to line up. Um, you know, a lot of the builders throughout the GTA have done this, you know, the, the pre-release. And I, I remember uh, seeing realtors actually hiring people to stand in line for a week. They pay them $1,000 to stand in line for a week. So then they would get two positions to bring in their client to get the commission. But quite frankly, they had no idea what they were selling. So um, love the comment that, you know, definitely go with professional realtors that know the marketplace. So important. And, and on top of that, also, you just don't you don't want just a real estate agent. You want someone who, a real estate agent that knows the market, and you want a, a real estate lawyer that knows the market. There's lots of real estate lawyers that are in the market for all types of real estate transactions. You want someone that understands pre-construction, new builds, that understands those contracts, can scan it quickly, and, and and already be alerted to any red flags that are possible, and then know what to go for and cap and limit, and so that you actually get a contract that works for you, not just the builder, because the builder has a contract that works. Just for, for, the for, for the builder. And you know what? I'm going to have you hold that thought if you don't mind. I'm going to have you stick with us. I want to talk more with you about this when we come back. Folks, stay with us. I've got Romana King with me today, and we are talking about new construction and what you should watch out for. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010.
of Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Just before the break, uh, I was talking to Romana King. She is senior editor at uh, Home Sense Magazine. Always awesome articles uh, when Romana pens them. And um, just before the break, we were talking about some representation. And uh, Romana, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, you made some great comments about, you know, representation. And just before the break, we were talking about making sure you go with a professional realtor uh, who knows a marketplace, but also a real estate lawyer, somebody that is very well versed in this style of negotiation. Absolutely. You want, you definitely want the contract lawyered, what they call lawyered, which is a lawyer just reading over it. So you want a realtor that goes in there, understands the developer, understands the development, understands the pre-construction process, the pros and the cons, and willing to say that. You want a lawyer that goes in there and understands the contract, what needs to be negotiated in your favor. And then when you've got those two professionals working in your court, you are definitely going to get a better agreement. Um, you know, you have capped closing costs. You're going to make sure that, you know, any structural changes that are done to your unit won't be so bad that your resale value just plummets. So these are the things that you want to make sure that you do when you're buying pre-construction because there's nothing physically there to look at. So you need to make sure everything, all the legalese that you know is binding you to this purchase is in your favor, or at least as much in your favor as you possibly can. Well, as, as you had mentioned earlier, actually, they're very one-sided, these agreements, and they're normally drafted by the builder to be yeah. able to give out. And when we look at it, I know there's a large delay process that can be put in and embedded in these offers. You know, give Given proper notice, and, and really the notice is a little bit shorter than most people would like, of course, and people can delay and delay and delay, and hence the reason you know we see some developers such as the Urban Corps of the World or some of the other ones that have the ability to delay people to the point where people either get frustrated, they give up, or they just get de- so far down the road that even though the delays have been extensive, they still are not going to get complete product. Uh, there's really nothing people can do about the delay process unless they put in that they can get out, Correct. Well, I mean, in 2001, and, and then the ruling was in 2006, Keith Markey actually took um, a, a builder to court, took Terry into court, saying that, you know, the delays were onerous. They, they, were, they cost him time, they cost him aggravation, and they cost him money. And he actually won that court case. And since then, since 2006, Terry has been compelled to create some stiffer rules. And so they've actually put into place in every builder's contract that are now mandatory how builders are supposed to deal with extension of possession dates. Now, that said, it doesn't mean that just because builder extends the the occupancy date that all of a sudden you can get out. There are some very strict rules and regulations as to how to get out and the timing. And actually builders and and anyone that's buying a pre-construction has to realize there are always going to be delays. I mean, construction dates and move-in dates are all arbitrary. Part of it is they need to actually get, in order to actually move in, you need an occupancy permit. But in order to register the building, you now need to register the corporation. And those two processes are, are different. You might be able to move into a building, but the builder has to wait another 23 months before they can register. Because at the close permits and get hydro and do all that stuff that the city says, yep, perfect, now you can actually register the building. And that can take up to two years. Or legally, you have up until two years, and then there's an actual cause for, for action, for legal action. An interesting point to that, because I don't know if a lot of our listeners understand the fact that when you move in, technically you become a tenant. You're not actually registering a mortgage because it's a non-registered building, meaning it's not a condominium yet. And so people can actually move in and they actually pay more a rent to a builder as opposed to paying a mortgage because the mortgage is not allowed to be registered on the property. 
Exactly. And, and people are quite shocked by that because they negotiate this, this, these terms with their bank and then they come to the realtor and then what ends up happening is they pay rent based on the negotiated rates. And so maybe the rates dropped in the interim, maybe whatever, but they're locked in until that building is registered and then... Then they have to now go back to the bank and actually get an official mortgage application and get that all in writing and in process. So it can be very stressful. It doesn't mean that it's a bad move to buy a new construction building. It just means that you need to understand all these nuances. Yeah, you definitely have to be more aware of what you are facing. And as you mentioned, you know, when we talk about things such as registering condominiums, one of the things that a lot of builders will do is they'll set a condominium fee in the very early stages, mm-hmm. you know, not fully disclosing how much the condominium fee could go up. And, you know, your advice and, and, and advice I always tell people, make sure you do go with a professional realtor that understands the market and the area. But a lot of these realtors could shed the light on that, you know, three years down the road, that maintenance fee could be doubled. And people have to be able to anticipate the fact that their maintenance fees will go up on these brand new buildings. Absolutely. I, I don't think there's a builder out there that won't do that tactic. And, and part of it is to actually attract people to get into that new building. But after a couple of years, you need to build up the reserve. You need to be able to fix the roof and replace the windows, and you need the money to do that, and those maintenance fees are going to go up. That means you need to be aware of that sort of rate shock. All of a sudden, the rates go up, and you need to put more money in every month into the, into the you know housing pool, into, the, into what you actually pay. If you are aware, if you talk to a realtor, they can shed some light on, on how how much those rates can go up, um, whether or not that developer is really lowballing, has a history of really lowballing, whether they're fairly accurate. You know, not there are some condo corporations in Toronto where fees can go down, but it's because they're very well managed. And typically it's because they're built well, they're managed well, and for that reason they can actually run well as, a, as their own little business. Yeah, and that's an excellent point. And this is this is why, you know, one of your other points in your article was to make sure you investigate the builder. It's not just about completing on the completion on time. It's actually are they realistic with their set condominium fees if they built something five years ago and you can do a little bit of historical data on it and look at it and say, okay, in all fairness, their condominium fees have gone up just modestly, then we know that they're in line. But if you look at a builder that built five years ago and their maintenance fees are triple, then again, that gives you an insight on what you can face. Absolutely. And, and it, it really boils down when you're doing new construction builds and you're buying into something that's basically on paper, you need to do a lot of upfront research. It's not enough to line up at one of those you know, pre-built um, showcases and go in and sign on the dotted line and then great, you're going to have a home in four years. You need to research that developer. You need to research as much as you can, you know, our prior clients happy? Are there other buyers out there that are making a lot of complaints and saying that the building is built in a shoddy manner, maintenance fees are going up, things break down, they can't get their complaints registered? All of this really counts. And the more that a builder seems to be out there in a negative way, then probably the more likelihood is you're also going to run into these difficulties. Yeah. And, you know, Romana, one of the things, and by the way, folks, if you're just tuning in, my guest is Romana King, and she is a senior editor with uh, Money Sense magazine. We're talking about more or less protecting yourself when buying brand new construction you know, especially condominiums. And Ramana, one of the, one of the things that I try to tell people uh, when looking at brand new construction of condominiums is be careful on the number of amenities. And I get that everybody gets, you know, they look at the brochures, you know, everybody, you know, it's amazing. The, the builder's brochures, everybody is good looking, lean, fit, <laughs> uh, you know, they look like a five, six star resorts. But ultimately, in the end, what people have to understand is that amenities cost money no matter what. And the future of your condominium fee depends on how much money does get wasted. It's not just about roof and and window repairs. It's actually about the amenities being repaired, which a lot of people don't even use afterwards. 
I mean, if you buy a building with an outdoor pool, we live in Toronto. How many times in a year are you going to actually use that outdoor pool? Yet you have to maintain that outdoor pool not only every year, but you have to do upgrades so that it doesn't deteriorate and cause problems and damage. So you're absolutely right. You know, the number of amenities, the type of amenities, the way the amenities were built, all of this plays into the the fees that you're going to pay, and that come right out of your pocket. I mean, if you have to pay an extra $100 per month because you have to maintain an outdoor pool, that's $100 a month you can't be spending anywhere else. It might actually be cheaper to just get a pool membership somewhere. And again, when we look at it, you know, again, the buildings, they're getting taller, they're getting bigger, they're getting shinier, everything about them. But, you know, I've always said to people, you know, sooner or later, things have to be repaired. It's great that you're living in the biggest building in Toronto, but eventually if that roof has to be done, how does that get done? People have to know that, you know, the bigger you are, the more expensive it is, the more money you have to put out. And this is what people have to take a look at when they break down their costs. It's the same whether you're buying a resale home, a single family detached home or a condominium. Everything has to be replaced. You're sharing the costs with the other unit holders if you're in a condo. You're, bird, you're by yourself if you're in your own home. Both of them can be expensive, but it has to be done. You cannot build a home and hope that for the next 50 years, nothing needs to be replaced or repaired. It absolutely does. And, and they, you know, a pound really is worth, an, or sorry, an ounce is really, really is worth a pound of cure. If you catch it early, it's going to be a lot cheaper than if you do it a little bit later. Yeah, excellent, excellent advice. Romana, always a pleasure to have you join us. And I thank you so much for, you know, giving our listeners some insight today. Thank you so much, Todd. Thank you. You have a great weekend. You too. Folks, that was Romana King, and she is from Money Sense Magazine. She's one of the senior editors there. Always a pleasure to have her as a guest here on Simply Real Estate. She has some great advice for you. Make sure you do your due diligence, especially when you're buying brand new. You never know what's going to happen later. Take a hard look at that contract. Hey, when we come back, we've got more right here, Simply Real Estate, and I am your host, Todd C. Slater. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. In the news, Korea released a report saying that they believe that potentially sales have topped out in Toronto and Vancouver. You know, if you look around nowadays and you talk to agents, you know, everything's going in multiple offers, things, you know, we don't have enough inventory. Well, you know what? Fortunately, today I am joined by a very special guest. He is an anchor with BNN. He is a real estate expert, and it is Greg Bunnell. Thanks so much for joining us today, Greg. My pleasure to be here. Interesting article. You know, right now, all we hear is that everything is hot, hot, hot. What is your take on a report like this? Well, the interesting dynamic here, and I've been seeing it pop up in other places, really interesting, though, that Korea came out and said it this week, and the fact that... They're talking about sales volumes, and we've been setting records month after month, and every real estate agency, Toronto, Vancouver, saying another record number of sales. But fewer and fewer homes are on the market, so the supply is really tight. And that's what we're really Korea is saying. It's not saying for a lack of demand that they think we've topped out in terms of sales numbers. It's the fact that if there's no properties to sell, you can't keep setting records. And something that's been sort of bubbling to the surface, and it was very interesting that Korea, the national body, had to say it this week. They say the issue for a lot of people is the decision to sell your house. If you live in Toronto, if you live in Vancouver, you live in the hot markets, there's no doubt. You put your house on the market, supply is so tight, you're going to get top dollar. If you've been 
been there for five years, a decade, you're going to make a killing as well compared to what you bought it for. But the problem is, if you sell and you still want to own property in that city, you want to own property in Toronto, you don't want to leave, then you become a buyer. And this is, we, we have a thing when we talk about real estate, the fear of missing out in the sense that people will jump in the market because they think they're missing out on something good. It almost feels like now there's a fear of becoming a buyer. Yeah, I can sell my house for a million dollars. I only bought it for three hundred thousand. I've got all this money. Now I got to go find a house. I got to get involved in the bidding wars. I got to get my heart broken a number of times. I'm going to pay through the nose for another property. So that's what's starting to bubble to the surface. So it's very interesting. It's not this idea that people don't want to buy. It's that they don't want to sell and then become buyers, and they get stuck in this trap of, oh, man, what did I just pay for a house? Yeah, you know, in the marketplace, I've been watching it, you know, very thoroughly. And one of the things that I that I, I agree with you 100% is the fact that everybody wants to be a seller in a market like this. Nobody wants to be a buyer. And, you know, unless they plan on going to the outer markets, hopefully that where they can achieve profit in, in the good market and buying, you know, into a lower market, great. But there's really not that many lower markets in the GTA right now. You know, we've seen the, the, we've seen the suburbs do really well in Vancouver, same thing. All the suburbs seem to be doing well. You know, we've got areas in Ontario here that, you know, everybody kind of gave up for dead and we've seen new life pop into them. You know, uh, Windsor, London, some of the areas that, you know, more or less people just said, hey, listen, it'll be a long time coming. And yet we're seeing some incredible numbers coming through for the first time. Sales up 14%, prices up 6%. You know, do you feel that this is still, you know, Korea Korea mentioning this article, um, I still think there's a lot of pent up demand. I think it's going to continue, but only in certain markets. What do you think? Well, everyone gets like, you're exactly right. People get pushed out of the market. You take a look at Toronto and you say, I can't afford a house. I can't afford anything other than a condo in Toronto. I'm married. I got kids. I need a little more space to roam. You see, you start pushing out. Hamilton prices were up 16% year over year. And I mean, that's understandable. It's an hour west. It's accessible by GO train. That's a good option. But Niagara, Fort Erie, one of the uh, bank economists pointed out this week, their home price is up 20% year over year. You're getting pretty far afield. Like you said, Windsor, you're talking about four and a half, five hours down the highway. But this whole push-out effect. So yeah, you get this idea that, okay, if I can't afford in the city, well, I'm going to push out. But that's already been happening. And soon you'll find, oh, the home is still cheaper out there. I can get that single family home in Brampton, Mississauga, Oshawa for a lot less than Toronto. But if I bought a year ago, I would have got it for 16% less. That can sort of start to stick in people's craws as well in terms of wanting to be a buyer in this market. You sort of feel like, oh man, am I being taken to a certain degree or are prices going to go up forever? That's the real battlefield, right? The people who think, don't worry, Toronto's fundamentals are sound. You know, we're a commerce center for, for Canada at least. We've got strong job growth. The economy's doing well. It'll keep going on forever. But there's some people who say, no asset goes up forever. Get ready for the day when this at least flattens out, if not corrects a little bit. That's a great point, actually. And I was going to ask you this. I have my own personal opinion here. When I take a look at marketplaces like Toronto and Vancouver, a lot of people say, hey, Todd, you know, you're not jumping on the fact that we think there's going to be a major adjustment in that marketplace. And I don't see it just a, you know, we've got a huge growing, you know, population in the Toronto GTA area, as well as Vancouver. People want to live in these hubs. These are world-class hubs. You know, we don't have a lot of inventory, supply and demand. I mean, yes, maybe our number number of units are going to go down, but the truth is prices, I think, will stay stable for a very, very long period of time, depending on what happens to, you know, obviously interest rates. But do you see the same thing? Are you seeing the fact that you think that you know, the overall market has stability? Um, you know, what, what's your take on it? I think you hit the nail on the head when you said interest rates. 
everything else, the fundamentals are sound. Economists will point to all the things that we've been talking about. We've got strong job growth. We have tight inventory, a lot of high demand. Immigration. I mean, Toronto, Vancouver, these are centers where people, when they come to this country to build a new life, they come to these centers. So you have that strong inflow of buyers as well. But when I talk to bank economists, they say the one thing, if, if I actually I put it this way to them a few months ago, give me one thing. I know there's a number of things, but give me one thing that could unravel anything. And they all say interest rates. Uh, there's a saying in the investing, uh, Warren Buffett, you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. <laughs> we don't know how over-levered people are. We don't know how dependent they are on low interest rates until they start to rise. And then can you carry that home anymore? So that's where people think the real test will be. And again, they're not calling for doom and gloom. They think most Canadians have been fairly prudent. There could be some borrowers at the margins who can only afford their house at these low rates, and when it goes higher, they're in big trouble. But of course, the housing bears say all the conditions are ripe. The, the one that the bears point to a lot, and this one, this is unsettling, in terms of the median income in a city and then the median house price. In Vancouver, you're talking about homes being 14 to 15 times median income. These are just the regular old homes. This isn't a luxury home. In Toronto, it runs around seven or eight. The rule of thumb is you should only be about three times your median income when you're buying a house in terms of the you know the price tag of that house so that number is pretty unsettling it's just sort of divorced from the fundamentals in terms of what the average person is making in the city so it does lead into the argument well the money's coming from somewhere right coming from the bank of mom and dad or the boomers handing down wealth early is it coming from foreign investment a lot of people think that's inflating the market so then you get into a whole other area of well if local people can't afford these homes who's actually buying these homes yeah you know i go back to back in 88 89 90 when we had probably the worst crash in the marketplace that we can remember over the last 30, 40 years. And that adjustment was quite substantial. But, the, you know, it was basically two to three years where it just went through the roof. But interest rates were topping out between 10 and 14% at the time. And then everybody was speculating. They got caught with their pants down and ended up the market adjusted, you know, a good 30%. Not unlike the U.S. market back in 2008. But, you know, when we, when we take a look at the, the sheer numbers and the volume that are out there, I think that if there are adjustments, as you said, I don't see a major correction, even if interest rates do bump up. But truth be told, I think that the Bank of Canada also keeps a little bit of a pressure valve, even though they do and will in the future you know, bring rates up. I don't see it going up two or three you know, uh, points or, or two, two or three percent in a short period of time. I think that they have to let, allow the economy to actually absorb small increases at a time before they put it on full throttle. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think they've learned their lessons from past recessions where uh, central banks got a little too aggressive on r- moving rates higher, and then suddenly you undo an economy, you do a, undo the real estate economy, and do a, undo a whole bunch of parts of the economy. So I think they're very cautious. We know that the U.S. Federal Reserve has talked about, uh, okay, we raised rates once, we're going to do it again, but we're going to they're slow and gradual. There's no sign that the Bank of Canada is going to move this year at all, perhaps not even into next year. So I think you're right in terms of rates. No one's going to see, you know, two, three percentage points overnight and suddenly be left holding a mortgage saying, I can't afford this thing. It's going to be slow. It's going to be gradual. But then again, the bears will say, what if the banks, the central banks get so behind the curve, they have no choice but to try to stamp down inflation, try to hit rates hard. But there's not really much sign of inflation pressures either. We're sort of in a weird part in the economy, sort of a, a Governor Polos, our central bank,
banker said it a few times. It's sort of like being on uncharted waters. You know, you drift over into the next uh, hemisphere, you look up at the sky and say, I don't recognize these stars. Like, there's things happening now that haven't happened before, which can be unsettling, but so far everything's sort of pointing to the fact that I'm steady as she goes. Yep, yep, excellent. Well, listen, Greg, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Love to have you on again sometime, and uh, thanks for joining us here at Simply Real Estate. Yeah, my pleasure. Excellent. Thanks, Greg. Right, thank you. Okay. So, folks, that was Greg Bennell, and he is a anchor with BNN, uh, definitely a real estate specialist. Uh, fabulous, fabulous comments. You know, I'm going to reiterate them for sure because I have to agree. Looking at the economics of what's happening in Canada today, you know, um, and look, I'm going to give you my opinion on the market because, you know, a lot of times everybody says, Todd, what do you think is going to happen? Just as Greg and I had discussed, I think personally – that we are going to see a fairly stable market. If interest rates go anywhere being up, it's going to take a long time. That's going to be a very slow-moving train. It can't jump because everything can collapse below it. Remember, most people take five-year term mortgages, and even five years ago, if you took a mortgage, rates were still fairly attractive. I know people that were getting 3% interest rates. And, you know, yes, I know a lot of people say 3%, that seems really high because everybody's getting 2.2, 2.5, things like that. But be, truth be told, that 3%, that's still very attractive rates. So if they were to all of a sudden start jumping rates, can they take it to 4%? For some, that's going to far exceed what they did with their mortgage paydown, and that's going to create some financial hardship. So when you go to renew that mortgage, typically in a five-year period, your mortgage will pay down by 15% of the actual mortgage amount. When you go to renew, and you would have to do a, a renew, actually do a refinance, meaning you're going to start over again, with an increase in an interest rate, you might be able to handle about 0.5, maybe 0.75 in an interest rate increase to keep the same mortgage payment. But if you go higher than that, then it's going to make more burden for you. So these are the kind of things that people need to analyze. When you do your work, make sure before buying a home, before you get the bank to figure everything out, figure out your payments at three separate intervals. Today's mortgage rates, at a half a point, at a point. Those are your future rates. Take a look at it five, ten years down the road. Can you afford it? Or are you going to stress yourself financially? Anyways, that's just my opinion for today. And coming up next week, again, I will be back live here at Simply Real Estate at 4 p.m. And um, as always, I want to thank you for tuning in today. Love talking to the professionals. I want to thank Romana King, Senior Editor at Money Sense Magazine. And of course, Greg Bennell, who was just joining me, BNN Anchor, Real Estate uh, Specialist. Love having guests like that, folks. Excellent to listen to. And I want to thank my uh, producer, Ian Grant, for uh, taking care of the show for me today, as usual. Once again, I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Tazi Slater, and I'll see you next week. 